Offering plates are making their way around. Um, I want to thank you for your continued giving and support to the church that we can continue to reach into our community and bless them with Christmas dinners and Easter egg hunts and all the fun stuff that we do. And uh, one of the things we have to do is to invest in children. So children, where are you? All the children, stand up, move into the center aisle. And uh, hey, children, can you move into the center aisle and all stand in the center aisle? I need you all to look up at me for a second. Okay, wait, wait, just stand right there. Back up, back up. I need, I need your help. Guys, listen very carefully. There's a very special, special person in your children's church class today. Okay? Uh, well, I, I don't, her name is, her name's Miss Rhonda. And it's her birthday. I think you guys all need to sing happy birthday. Ready? One, two, three. Happy. There you come on. Nice and loud, children. Thank you, children. You can make your way downstairs. And uh, just a note, Rodney, if you forgot this morning, we're helping you out. Oh, isn't it good to, uh, isn't it good to be here this morning? And uh, just so you know, uh, we will talk with Pastor Andrew as he uh, did use the S word this morning. S-N-O-W. And every time we talk about that, we start to see it. And I'm happy that it's middle of November and we're enjoying beautiful weather still. Um, this morning we're going to uh, take some time and we're going to work on part two of our series titled Elisha, the Old Testament prophet Elisha. We, uh, we've been talking about him, started last week and we have this week and two more. We're going to talk about this idea that Elisha lived a tale of ridiculous faith. Now, if you weren't here last week, you may think that word ridiculous means um, laughable, but it doesn't. Our culture says it means unbelievable something that is just incredible and uh, we want to look at this life of elisha and how incredible of a life he lived this tale that he lived and this ridiculous unbelievable faith that he lived out and i want to tell you something it's actually applicable for us and we could live out this life and have a tale of ridiculous faith like it could say whomever whatever your first name is jamie a tale of ridiculous Faith, And I'm excited as we begin to walk through this. We're specifically looking at four key moments in the life of Elisha. Four key moments. Last week, we looked at this first one, this telephone, which is the moment of his call. Where Elijah came to him and found him after God had told him, go and anoint Elisha to be the next prophet. He's going to take over for you. And Elijah went to Elisha's place where Elisha was working in the field, plowing the fields. And he picked up his cloak and he threw it over top of him. He's passing the mantle. It was this call that God was making on his life to say, Elisha, I have something great for you. I have big things planned for you. And will you answer the call? And he's saying the same thing to you and I, no matter where we are in our life, God has a call for you. And he's saying the same thing that he said to Elisha, will you answer the call? And we walk through a bit of that, that 
the call, answering the call requires this ridiculous commitment. And we began to look at a couple principles that you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And that God uses, the ones God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. And we talked through this answering the call because God has called each one of us. And are we willing to answer that call? That's, that was last week. In next week, we're going to look at this icon here, which is an oil jar and the story of Elijah, Elisha, sorry. And, and when God came and they began to fill the jars full of oil and he says, go and get more and more and more. And this ridiculous provision and how it applies in our life. And, next, and the following week, this axe head moment when this gentleman loses his axe head in the water and the miracle takes place where Elijah, Elisha, sorry, and the axe head becomes floats and he pulls it up and this ridiculous recovery is what we're going to talk about in two weeks. But this morning we're going to dig into this icon here. And uh, anybody know what this is? It's a shovel. Anybody know what shovels are for? How many of you are like me and avoid the shovel at all cost? Honesty, good. I'm glad somebody else is with me. Shovel, and we're going to talk about digging ditches this morning. Digging ditches. A ridiculous faith, if you're following along. If you have your notes, I want you to look at the first line on there. And we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 3. If you want to get your Bible, we can go there and get pull your notes out. But I put this on the, on the first slide. And notice there's no fill in the blank here because... I can't answer it for you. This is one for you. Have you ever found yourself making this statement or, or, or talking about it or even just thinking about it? If only I had... Boom. Life would be easier or life would be better or life would be happier. Anybody ever been in that place before? You know, if you said, if only I had more money, life would be better. Would it? Or maybe you found yourself saying, if only I had more time, if only I had more time, life would be easier. If only I had a better job, life would be happier. If only I had a better marriage, life would be happier. If only I had better health, life would be better or easier. If only I had more hair. I'm not picking on anybody, I promise. I promise. Have, we, have you ever done that before? You know, the if only game, if only I had more. If only I had more. If only I had more. Life would be so much easier. Life would be so much better. Life would be happier. We all play this game in one way or another. We all say these things, we all think these things, we all wrestle through these things. Man, if only I had the if only game, or some would say it, the when then. When I had this, then I'd do that. When I had more money, then I'd be better. When I had this or that. In fact, sometimes I think we measure ourselves or shape our views through our hurts or our pain or our greatest need. And we take that greatest need and, and whatever it is, if it's, if it's a, a physical need, then we say, if only my health, if only I had, if I only had better health, then life would be easier. Or if, if maybe we're, we're in a, up that place where we're struggling financially, our biggest need is we can't meet the bills. If only I had more money, life would be happier. 
or, or we have relationship problems or any of these. We begin to shape the way that we view because of our greatest need or our hurt. And this morning, I want to talk a bit about that. This morning, I want to take some time and I want to wrestle through this story in Second Kings and I want to journey through this moment in time when we see this great need come to this army and, and how God came. And how through the view of their greatest need, if only I had, everything would be so much better. And how we can change our thinking and get away from this. And we can actually dig ditches and begin to live with ridiculous faith. Unbelievable faith. So let's, let's turn there. 2 Kings chapter 2. Second King, sorry, chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. And this is picking up on the story of Elisha. Remember in chapter, in 2 Kings, or 1 Kings chapter 19, we began to see this moment where Elisha was called by God through the prophet Elijah to step into this next position of becoming the prophet for, for the nation. And God was transferring this, this process and Elisha left everything he knew to follow and to be mentored by Elijah. And he followed Elijah for years and he walked with him and he talked with him and he did all these incredible things. And then Elijah gets taken up in this whirlwind and, and as, he's, as he's being taken away, he drops his cloak and the cloak stays. The same cloak that was thrown over Elisha to pass the mantle of this office of of the prophet and he picks it up and he puts it on and he begins to walk in the shoes of Elijah and to step into the calling and his ministry begins in 2 Kings chapter 2 and his ministry begins to unfold and through this we begin to see this incredible working of through his life that God moving through his life as he walks back to the Jordan he folds it up just like he'd seen Elijah do and he smacks the water parts and he walks across and he begins these miracle after miracle after miracle this incredible thing that's happening as God's working through him he gets back to the city that the water's been ruined and he purifies the water He cursed a group of boys who mocked God's messenger. There were two bears, if you want to read about it, that mauled these boys. I know it's kind of gross, but it happened because they're mocking the messenger of God. There's stuff happening. And now we get to this place in 2 Kings chapter 3 where something completely different begins to take shape. 2 Kings chapter 3. There are four kings in the piece of scripture we're going to wrestle through this morning. Each of them ruling in a unique kingdom. And a war is about to break out. So you have these four kings. In some way you could say you had good guys. Well, I'm going to use good guys in terms of uh, they weren't like the greatest of kings. But they were, I guess you could call them good guys. You had this and you had the bad guys. I mean, in a war there's always good guys and bad guys. I guess we can look at it that way. And, and you had this king, King Joram uh, of Israel. So this king is the king of Israel. And he's taken over the kingdom for his, from his father Ahab. And, and, and Joram, as we're going to read in the scripture, did some... I mean, he tore down the, the Baal, but he wasn't great. He didn't walk with God. And there's this tension that's happening. But he's the king here. And after his dad dies, there's this king, Misha of Moab. And he rebels against Israel. And this tension begins to mount. And this feud begins to take place. So you have this king over here, Joram fighting and feuding against King Misha of Moab and there's this tension that's taking place and then this king 
of Israel calls on another king, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and they partner together. And now these two nations are going to take on the nation of Moab, and they're going to walk in, and they're going to think they're going to destroy them. And they decide, you know what? Two's not good enough. Let's get the third one as they make their way to Edom, and they talk to the king of Edom. And the three kings join forces to march into battle against the Moabites. So you have the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom marching into battle to take on the king and the army of Moab. And they agree to join in partnership together. And these three kings make their quest to fight. And they, the, the whole army, all three merge together, unified in one front to take on the Moabites. They're convinced that it's going to be a simple, easy victory. That they've got this one and there's going to be no problems and everything is going to be perfect. This is going to be a piece of cake. We're going to walk in and boom, everything's done. Landslide and it's over. But things don't always go as planned. Things don't always work out as we planned. As, these, as this army is marching around the desert to attack the Moabites, they run into their greatest need. Let's read it here in Second Kings. Jerem's son, verse one, starting in verse one, Jerem's son of Ahab became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. But he, or he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat which he had cursed Israel to commit. He did not turn from them. Now, Misha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to supply the king of Israel with a hundred lambs and with the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against Israel. So, that, so at that time, King Joram set out for some from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go fight? Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But what route shall we attack? He asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. Here is the moment when stuff doesn't go as planned. These three kings are marching to battle with their entire army, with their horses, with the whole entourage. And they're going to take out the Moabites and they're going to, 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 to destroy them. And they're convinced that everything is perfect and they run out of water. A basic need, but a great need for the army. They run out of water. They don't have enough water to provide, uh, f- to satisfy the thirst of the men or the horses. They run out of water. This is a crisis moment. They're in the desert going to battle and they've run out of water. Verse 10 says this. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord 
called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? He's beginning to question the reason they're going. What? How can we be out of water? There's no way this is possible. How can we run out of water? We don't have enough to supply thirst for the the, the, the troops or the horses. We're going to die out here in the desert. And not only are we going to die out here in the desert, if we make it into Moab, we're not going to be strong enough and we're going to die at the hands of the other army. This was supposed to be victory. Crisis has hit. Their greatest need has begun to surface. They have no water. I remember when Englehart got shut down, the water got shut down. Was it three days? Man, we were driving everywhere we could to find water. At least we had a close place we could go to get some. They have no water. The basic need now has become their greatest need and they're starting to panic. But listen to what verse 11 says. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? Oh, is there not someone here who, who, who could go and, and talk with God and could walk us through this? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Somebody pipes up and says, hey, oh yeah, that guy, Elisha, he was like the the, the servant to Elijah. He's here with us. He can, he can call on God. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said the king of Israel, What do you have to do? What do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered. Because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us... Sorry, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. But now, bring me a harpist. Bring me a harpist. There's this tension feuding because the king of Israel, who is Joram, has done evil in the sight of the Lord. Not as much as his dad, but he's been pretty bad. But Elisha has respect for Jehoshaphat. Says, okay, bring, me, bring in a harp. Bring in the music. Well, the harpist was playing. The hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will will see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water. And your cattle, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. 
You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. Here's what's going to happen. Make this valley full of ditches. This is what Elisha says to these kings. Here's what God has said to me for you. Make this valley full of ditches. And then God will fill it with water. And you'll have enough water to drink for you, for your animals, for everybody. You'll have enough water to drink. And you will overthrow Moab. The next morning, verse 12 says, 20, sorry, says the next morning, about the time of time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Here in this story, we find three kings and an entire army in the state of their greatest need. They need water. They need water water and they don't know what to do about it we feel like we're supposed to be doing this and that god is leading us here but we need water we need water and as they hear from the lord god gives them an instruction dig ditches fill this valley with ditches and if you fill them with ditches they'll be full of water dig ditches so here's what, what, I, what I can begin to see in this story. And I hope it can help us. Because I hope we can see this in our life, in our greatest need. Because it seems to happen even when we don't expect it. But this is what begins to take place. That our greatest need can rock us right where we are. It can smack us right in the face. It can shake us and rock us to the very core of who we are. Maybe think of what your greatest need is. Or... Maybe think of the moment you've had that great need and how much it's shaken you personally. This this army is out. These three armies joined together as one is out in the field. And all of a sudden they run out of water and it's like they run straight into a brick wall and it rocks the kings. They're kind of like, look, what? What? No, this can't happen. How can we be out of water? What? Like it's just, it it shakes them where they are. It smacks them right in the face. How in the world can we be out of water? This can't be. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? They're convinced that God is calling them to go in and to fight. And now he's saying, man, has God called us together and then he's going to just destroy us? Now, I want to pause there just for a second. Because sometimes we can think, oh, well, they were evil and and they were doing wrong things as kings and, and we can get mixed up. But if we pause and think about our life for just a second, we can have those same statements. Man, I feel like God is calling me to do this. And all of a sudden, bam, life changes. And I get hit with either A, a bad medical report, or B, financial trouble, or C, something happens as a death in my family. And all of a sudden, I get smacked right in the face. And I say, what? How can this happen? Is God not calling me? Think about it for a second. These kings are convinced that they're going into battle because this king has 
caused problems and, and done this evil thing to Israel, that they're going to go into battle. And they're saying, how can we be out of water? Has God called us just to go and get killed and, and, and to, to be handed over to the, Moab, to the Moabites? Our greatest need can rock us where we are. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis, a bad medical report. Maybe it's parents' separation. Maybe it's a marriage breakdown. Maybe it's a death in the family. And this great need all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and it surfaces and it shakes us right to the very core of who we are. And we begin to, to, God, how can you do this? What? This is impossible. You just called me to do this great thing and now you... What? And it rocks us where we are. A few years ago, I had this moment in my ministry and I knew after running a bit that God had called me to ministry. And it took me several years to smarten up and to mature and to grow up. And I finally, when I did, and I walked in the calling that God had for me, it was, it was great. And then all of a sudden, it was like out of nowhere, this, for me, everything seemed to just like crumble in my hands. I was like, I can't do anything right. I can't do, like, am I, and I began to wrestle through this, am I a failure? Am I good? And this great need of, of insecurity, you could call it, began to surface within me. I'd come home, and, and I'd say to Michelle, I said, am I that bad? Like, should I just quit? Even though I knew that God was calling me. This need surfaced where I just, it felt like everything that I could wanted to do, everything that I was trying to do, everything I felt like I was supposed to do, wasn't working. And I just felt like, what's wrong with me? Am I a failure? And this need shook me to the point of like, should I just leave ministry and go and work in the kitchen? Michelle's like, no way. But this surface, this need, it began to shake me. Because these great needs, they begin to rock us where they are. But here's what I want to tell you, because this is powerful and this is significant. Our greatest need, our greatest need can become a blessing. Believe it or not, if you're in it right now, this may be hard for you to hear. But listen, please, that your greatest need can become a blessing when it drives us to depend on God. That need can become a blessing when it drives us to depend on God. I can't do this anymore. For me, I remember when I'm, I'm through this, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I'm struggling through this. I, I'm no good. I'm, not a, I'm a terrible pastor. I shouldn't be doing this. But that began to drive me to depend on God, not on me. On God, not on me. Maybe it's a, it's a report of a medical for you and, and you're facing whatever, some illness, whether it's cancer or something else. And you start depending on you and on you. But that need, that greatest need can in fact become a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. It's not about me anymore. I'm depending and relying 
on God. Look at this story. Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here? Is there no prophet of God? Is there not someone who we can seek wise counsel? Is there not someone who knows God and can talk to God and can seek God for us? Now they begin to depend on God. They begin to depend on God. Is there no prophet of the Lord here? An officer of the king's army said, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. The word of the Lord is with him. Now this dependence becomes, comes off of us and it becomes we de- dependent on God. It says, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to They went to see Him. They went to find Him. Because our greatest need can become a blessing when we become dependent on God. When we depend on God, it can actually become a blessing. Without a test, there's no testimony. We can become... Our greatest need can become a blessing. When we depend on God. And here's what happens in this story. and it's, It's challenging in the middle of where we are. But God calls us to action. You see, our greatest need, it rocks us where we are. It shakes us. It can just smack us right in the face. And if we just always look at ourselves and become dependent on ourselves, then we lose out. But if we become dependent on God, it become a blessing. And as we become dependent on God, God then calls us to action. He calls us to action. Just like He calls the armies to action. He looks at them and He says... This is what the Lord said. I will fill the valley with pools of water. In one translation, another translation that we read said, I fill this valley with ditches. The New King James translation said, Thus say the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Why make it full of ditches? So that the water can fill the ditches. Call to action. Make it full of ditches. Dig ditches. Call to action. Dig ditches. Our greatest need can become a blessing when it drives us to depend on God. And when we begin to depend on God, and and as we see here, God says, listen, I need you to do something. You need to take out, step out in faith, believe in me, and you need to dig ditches. Put the shovel in the ground and start to dig and fill this valley with ditches. The moment the shift happened for me in my life, when I started to depend on God and I stopped looking at myself and I started to depend on God, there was a moment I remember and God kind of stirred in me this call to action and it wasn't literally digging a ditch, so to speak, but He was calling me to call and talk to and speak with other mentors, other pastors, and to walk through this journey together, not alone and I talked with my senior pastor and I talked with a couple other pastors and we began to walk through this journey and calling and reshaping and it became a blessing because I was being fed by others who were speaking life into me and my greatest need which had shaken me which had like crippled me was now shaping me to be who God had called me to be same is true for you where you are. 
that your greatest need can become a blessing when you depend on God. And sometimes God will call you to action, digging a ditch. You may not literally go outside and dig a ditch, but He's calling you to step out in faith, in that ridiculous faith. God's calling us to action. Let me give you some practical things. Let's walk through ridiculous faith at work. Let's see what this looks like as we begin to look into this story a little bit further and how maybe you in your life, as you begin to look at the greatest need that you have, can begin to step out, walk in faith and start depending on God and stop depending upon yourself where you are. Ridiculous faith at work. Here's, here's I guess, practical thing. Need water? Dig ditches. Need water, you need God to step into your life for some circumstance, for some reason, whatever it is, that greatest need, dig ditches. Dig ditches. Why do we dig ditches? Why do we dig ditches? Because as the ditches are dug, God can fill them with water. Dig ditches. Look what James says. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead, or in the New Living Translation, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works or without action. It's just, this is this byproduct of faith is action. It's not the the faith, this is a different context than what Paul talks about, justified by faith. This 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 is a different point when God's saying, you've been saved, you've received my grace, you have faith. Now this is the byproduct of faith is to do good works. It's action need water dig ditches listen to god do what he's calling you to do because he may not be calling you just to sit there he may be calling you to action and as you respond and as the army did and dug the ditch god provided the water here's the best part only god can send the water but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch You can't provide the water, but you can do the work to dig the ditch. Only God can send the the healing or or the, the, the answering to the need. But you can do the work that He's calling you to do. God restored me. God had, had stirred in me. God had, had, had shaped me. It wasn't me doing it. It was God doing it through him and through other people in me because I was willing to do what he's calling me to do, to step out into action and to dig the ditch, so to speak, by making phone calls, by calling people into my life, to have them speak to me and talk to me and hold me accountable. And maybe the greatest need for you is hindering you and you need to dig a ditch and God can send the water, but maybe he needs you to do something to dig the ditch. To step out. Just like we see the army of Israel. Well, the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, he speaks the word of God. He speaks to the kings. This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water or make this valley full of ditches. Dig ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain. So this is not coming from the wind or from... It's not blowing water in from wherever. It's not rain that's that's coming to fill these ditches. Yet this valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is not some way of... It's going to just happen by way of rainfall. God is going to provide and only God can provide the water. He says, this is, this is easy 
an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. But you have to dig the ditches. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. Sometimes God's plan for you requires your response to go and step out, to dig a ditch. And God, only God, will fill it with water. Dig, ditch. The other thing that's really cool about this story is believe big, but start small. Believe big, believe big. Believe, believe big, but start small. We see them rebuilding the temple. Or building the temple, sorry, in, in Zechariah. says these words in 4 verse 10. Who dares despise the days of small things as they started to build the temple? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. The days of small things, or again, the New Living Translation says, do not despise these small beginnings as you start to build, because once you build, it'll be great. Don't despise the days of small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. Don't despise the small beginnings. Believe big. Believe big. This nation, of this army is believing that God is going to deliver the Moabites into their hands. They're believing huge, but they're looking at their need and saying, we need water or we're just going to crumble. So they start to depend on God and he says, believe big. Believe that it'll happen, but start small by taking those shovels and digging ditches. Digging ditches. Ridiculous faith believes big, but is willing to start small it believes big it believes huge but it's willing to start small remember i've said this from the time i've been here i'm crazy enough to believe that this entire town of inglehart can know jesus can be transformed by his love and can fill churches across this region but i'm willing to start small by sitting at the community hall and serving people turkey dinner and telling them that god loves them by setting up hay bales and hiding plastic eggs and having kids come and run around and pull eggs to take home candy and to tell them that Easter is all about the fact that God sent His Son for them, that He died on the cross for them. I'm believing big, but I'm going to start small. Ridiculous faith believes big, believes that God can do it. I know that God can do it, but I'm willing to start small, whatever He calls me to do, whatever that little step is. I believe that God can completely destroy this, this Moabite nation, but I'm believing that God will provide the water, and I'm going to start small by simply putting my shovel in the ground and digging a ditch. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there was, there was water flowing from the direction of Eden and the land was filled with water. And the army could get their drinks, their cattle, their horses could all drink and they could quench their thirst. Their greatest need, 
now filled. And they had the promise from what Elisha had told them. That not only will there be water for all of you to drink, but he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. I'm going to believe big, but I'm going to start small by putting the shovel in the ground. God's plan tests our trust in him. Do you trust him? Think about it for a second. How silly do you think it sounded when Elisha said to the kings, fill this valley with ditches. Sometimes that happens in our life, right? God says, no, what if you just try this? How's that going to get to this? No, just do it. Believe big. Start small. Test our trust in Him. And here's where I want to close this morning, and I want you to hear this. And uh, Jer, if you and the worship team want to come up. God's power will exceed our expectation, or will exceed your expectation. God's power will exceed your or our expectation. It'll exceed your expectation. Elisha says to the, to the kings, you will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will overthrow. You will cut down every good tree, stop all the springs, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. You will overthrow fortified cities. After, after, after the kings wake up the next morning and the Ditches that they had dug are filled with water. Listen to what it says in verse 21. Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. And when they got there, when they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now, to the plunder, Moab. Let's go get all the stuff. Look at them. Those crazy group of people, they all joined together thinking they could make this one unity, unified body of three armies. They've decided to fight against each other. They've killed each other. The blood spilled everywhere. Now let's go get all our stuff. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They cut, they stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only Kir Heshoth was left with its stones in place. But men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it as well. God's power will exceed our expectations. But our need, our greatest need, whatever it is for you, this is personal. I can't tell you what it is. 
what your need is, whatever your need is, it can slap you in the face and it can rock you and it can hold you back, but it can become a blessing when you depend on God. And as you depend on God, God may be saying to you, I need you to dig ditches because as you dig those ditches, I will provide the water. I will provide the water. And my power will do more than you can ever expect or imagine. When we depend on God, His power will exceed our expectations. So here's how I want to close this morning. If you have a need this morning, and I don't care if you think it's like a small, tiny, little need, or if you think it's an unbelievably great need. If you have a need this morning, and that need has smacked you in the face, you need water. Well, here's the starting point to digging the ditch. Would you step out of your seat? Would you join us at the front? And we want to pray with you. We want to stand with you, believing that God can and God will supply the water as you begin small things as you begin to dig the ditch so this morning if you're here whatever your need is and you say pastor i've been smacked in the face with this i need to depend on god i need to dig a ditch and i need him to provide the water we want to pray with you we want to pray for you and believe with you and if that's you just as the team begins to worship, even now, just move to the front and we want to pray with you. Elders, if, I, if, if you have a need, you can come. We'll pray with you. If you're able to pray with someone, we want you to join us to pray. But this morning, if you have a need, if you need God to provide water, begin to dig the ditches. Would you come forward? Believing in ridiculous faith, unbelievable faith that God will do what He's promised to do. We're just going to believe this morning. Lord, we come to you now. God, would you have your way in this place? Holy Spirit, would you move in power? Father, we come with needs. Lord, we come with needs. God, but we don't come with needs to hold us down. We come with needs to, we come to depend on you. So God, would you fill the water as we begin to dig the ditches? Would you fill the valleys with water? God, we pray. We pray. Church, would you... If, if you have a need, just come to the front. If not, if you want to stand or worship or stay seated, whatever you'd like, however you're most comfortable, just begin to worship, just begin to press in. And we're going to believe that God is going to fill valleys full of water, life, transformation, and healing.
morning we come to you. Lord, we come to you with our great need, with our hurt, with our pain. And Lord, we, we turn ourselves away and we depend on you. Lord, would you strengthen us? Lord, would you fill us with your presence? And Father, as we begin to put shovels into the ground, as we begin to dig ditches, Lord, I pray God, that you would fill those ditches with water like only you can do. God, that you would provide thirst for our situation. God, that you would provide strength. Lord, that you would provide healing. That you would provide peace and comfort. 